Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It is absolutely pouring out there. If you happen to be in Southern California, please be careful. Unlike the rest of the country, a decent rainstorm can wreak havoc on this region. A region of land that is simply not suited for heavy rains. We're talking mudslides and flash floods. That's no joke, so stay safe out there. I have an awesome show lined up for you guys this evening. But before I begin with our first call, I have something I need to get off my chest. Lately, I've been asking for reviews on iTunes, and you guys certainly have delivered. We're just about to break the 400 mark, and to me, that's mind-boggling. But with this influx of reviews comes a handful of negative ones. Now, I'm not the kind of person that let a little negative feedback discourage me in any way. In fact, typically, it's the opposite. But these reviews have me a bit annoyed. In a nutshell, most of the negative comments criticize my quote-unquote debunking. Some claim that I insinuate that certain callers are liars. Some feel that my rational explanations are irrational and far-fetched. But the majority simply hate the idea that I try to rationalize any of this at all. And that is what bothers me. The entire concept of the show is to explore calls and to try to find possible explanations, paranormal or otherwise. In no way do I intend to be disrespectful, nor do I claim to know the true answers. I simply do my best to offer logical alternatives to otherwise illogical claims. So long story short, I do my best to be respectful, to be polite, and to be open-minded for each and every call that comes in, whether I believe in the subject matter or not. Alright, that made me feel at least a little bit better. Now on with the show. As I've stated many times, I now live in the San Bernardino Mountains just east of Los Angeles. For the most part, it's a quiet mountain community. We have shops, attractions, tons of hiking trails, and a beautiful crystal clear lake. But lately, that serenity has been shattered. A group of thieves have been terrorizing homes here lately, stealing gasoline from cars and whatever isn't bolted down. And as if that wasn't scary enough, these true monsters practice their craft under the protection of the infamous fog that often blankets the communities up here, literally making them invisible. Well, I tell you all that to share this. As this current storm blew in last night, the wind did some crazy things, creating noises that it could have swore were man-made. Banging sounds, scraping sounds, and even human voices. But as I awoke this morning, I found nothing amiss. Nothing was taken or broken. At least this time, it really was only the wind. 
But can the same be said for our first caller of the evening, when a strange sound pulled him out of his reality? Well, for that answer, here is Ray's call from the Chicago area. Hey, Derek. Uh, this is Ray, and I am from a Chicago suburb. Um, and this event happened about a week ago, and this is um, the second week of February. So I was in my room just kind of laying there, and near me are two big airports. Um, and so I've, I'm used to, to hearing airplanes every day, sometimes every hour if it's in the summer. Um, and also, I'm near... Uh, hospitals where you hear helicopters every so often depending on what's going on. Well, um, every so often I hear a a low um, a low noise like an airplane is about to is flying low, um, and that's not really anything usual. But for that night, um, I was in my room and it's kind of next to the driveway, and I hear this airplane I'm like okay whatever. So then all of a sudden it just sounds like it's in a nosedive, just all the way through, um, and it sounded like it was maybe 10 feet above the house. Like, it was super loud. I felt rumbling, um, and then I, I heard it pass, and so I covered my ears, and I uh, thought it was going to crash. I was, I legit thought it was going to crash. My heart beat was racing, all that stuff. So, I got in my room. I go ask, go ask my mom if she heard it. So she was in the living room, which is maybe 20 feet away from the room I was in. And she goes, what are you talking about? So I'm like, well, you didn't hear that. How, how did you not hear that? It was like 10 feet above the house. So I then look online to see if any major news break of a, of a plane crash happened. Um, and there was none. And also, every so often, when, when the helicopters do come in, you hear of these accidents um, because of the helicopter, and so um, there was no, there was nothing new report-wise, and so it it must have been like six o'clock at night, and I was wide awake, nothing really going on. Um, actually, in fact, I think I was listening to your podcast as well, and so I'm like, well, that's not really anything paranormal until after I kind of talked to the people people around the house um, and around the block, and they're like, what are you talking about? And it wasn't, I, I wasn't dreaming. Um, the only thing I could really think of would be the uh, the head explosion, uh, like, for sleep. But, like I said, I was wide awake. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was almost sleeping and woke up all of a sudden. It was clear as day. Um, there was a little snow falling that day because it is um, almost, uh, it was January into February at that time. So... Um, it, there was no, like, thunderstorm or anything, so it was just, it was weird, and it took me about 10 minutes to, uh, calm down, and then I, I still don't know what, what it's about, so, um, I don't know if that's paranormal, or if that's just a weird story, but, uh, I thought that if anyone would have a logical explanation, it would be you, and as always, I love this podcast, um, I also love the group. Uh, shout out to Eddie Lloyd for that. Um, she's done a good job. 
So, uh, thanks. Thank you, Ray, for sharing. I've heard stories about this sort of thing before. The unmistakable sound of a plummeting plane. Like Ray's story, most of these also end in mystery, and oftentimes, no crash is found and no missing aircraft are reported. Where can these phantom sounds be coming from? Is there perhaps a strange atmospheric phenomenon that causes planes to sound as though they are falling? Could it be a large truck passing by? A drone or even insects? Whatever the sound is, the terror it produces is only rivaled by the relief gained when the inevitable explosion sounds never actually come. Thank you again, Ray, for taking the time to call in. Our next story is a written one. The following was submitted by Tommy. Hi. I'm from Pennsylvania, and back in August of 2016, my friend Brandon and I decided to take a trip to Centralia. Our main goal was to see Graffiti Highway. It was a beautiful warm summer day, and we got there about 6 in the afternoon. Unfortunately, I took a wrong turn on the main highway that runs through Centralia and found an opening in the woods that led to some trails. I drove down one of the trails a bit and parked. We decided to get out and walk through the trails, thinking we would stumble upon it. Ultimately, we ended up getting lost in the woods for an hour and a half. There were no openings in the woods off our trail to get back to the main highway, till we were really far down. So when we got back to the main highway, it was night, with a beautiful full moon. We walked all the way down the highway until we found the trail my truck was parked on. We both turned the flashlight apps on our phones and continued on. As we were walking down the trail, this tall tree to the left of us started shaking violently. We stopped dead in our tracks and pointed our lights at it. We couldn't see anything in it, with the tree being thick and it being dark. It was like something had grabbed all the branches on it and started shaking them up and down. There was no wind, and all the other trees were still. I looked at Brandon and said quietly, What the hell is doing that? He looked at me terrified with no answer. I started to think maybe this was a prank or some big animal. Now I want to mention when we explored abandoned places I always carry a gun for protection. I pulled out my gun, cocked it, and yelled out, I have a gun and I will fire. It did absolutely nothing. The tree kept shaking. So I looked down the trail and saw a glare of a moonlight off my truck. I was relieved. I pulled my key fob out and set the alarm off. I looked at Brandon and yelled, Go! Go! We ran down to my truck, got in it, and flew down the trail back to the main road. To this day, we never figured out what it was. I like to think logically, and maybe it was an animal. But what throws me off is how it was shaking the whole tree continuously. Well, thank you for listening to my story. I want to say that I love the podcast, and I'll be back with more stories. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy, for sharing this story. When it comes to strange sounds, shapes, or movement in the dark forest, we are at the mercy of our own imagination. A flash of brown fur has to be a monster, not a deer. A long wailing call can't be a coyote, it must be a Sasquatch. It's our fear that gets the better of us, transforming even the most benign of woodland activities into something sinister and downright life-threatening. Perhaps this is the case in Tommy's encounter. It's known that many animals rub against trees for several reasons. Bears do it to scratch their often flea and tick infested skin. Deer do it to scrape the velvet from their antlers. So it's entirely possible that a known creature simply used a tree for this purpose, causing it to shake violently. Then again, with the yelling of the two men and the car alarm, it's questionable that any known animal 
would stick around. Thanks again, Tommy, for taking the time to share. And for those that don't know about Centralia, the town that inspired the video game series Silent Hill, here is a short video clip courtesy of Weird World. Number 5. Centralia, Pennsylvania During 1962, the government decided to incinerate an enormous pile of rubbish at Centralia's dump. This was a very bad idea, as the town's dump was located on top of an abandoned coal mine, along with most of the town. After the fire consumed the rubbish, it ignited the leftover coal in the coal mine and spread throughout the remaining mine. This created carbon monoxide, which seeped up through the ground. Disturbingly, people in the surrounding homes began to lose consciousness. After sinkholes and cracks started appearing throughout the town, authorities realised they could not stop the fire and relocated the residents. Disturbingly, the fire still remains in the town and it's been notified that parts of the mine could collapse at any moment, making the ground dangerous to walk on. The town's air is also deadly, blowing out sulphurous steam throughout the holes, which can suffocate a person. Today, this abandoned town remains off-limits to the public. Our next call is short, sweet, and spooky. This is Derek's call from New York. Hi, Derek. Um, I'm Derek from Western New York. Um, I have a cool story I thought that you could use in your podcast. I really enjoy your show. Um, it was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, we were in um, a Bible study. It was in a, like a built-in garage, all like, you know, souped up pretty nice. Um, there was a group of 12 of us at a big table. And so we were just um, going over like our study for the day. We were just reading from a booklet. And then we just were finishing with our nightly prayer. Well, we're, so we start praying, and all of a sudden, one of the ladies, her head just plops straight onto the table, and then the door swings violently open and violently slams shut. And then she all of a sudden awakens and is like, where am I? What happened? And we're like, are you serious? <laughs> like, you've been here at the Bible study for the last two hours. How do you not know where you are? So all of us, all 12 of us, experienced the same thing. We all saw, all soon as she, we were doing our prayer, and I don't know if a spirit left her, what happened, like, the doors fling open and fling shut. I mean, I do come from more of a Pentecostal background, so that's where we tend to lean with things. Um, but just a really wild, wild case. Um, it was a little windy. I mean, the door does, it had been known to, like, swing open and shut once in a while. Uh, it was because the door went right out to the outside, but uh, uh, it was just totally bizarre, the timing of the whole thing. I mean, the door swung fully open and then slammed shut. Like, we were all just in awe when it happened. So, uh, well, thanks. Hope you can use it. Uh, enjoy your show. Thanks, Derek. Bye. Thank you, Derek. It sounds weird saying that. This is a very interesting story. I honestly find it hard to believe that a door opening and slamming and the woman losing consciousness is not somehow related. It's almost too coincidental, in my opinion. But that does not mean there's not a logical explanation for what transpired that day. That said, the only idea I can muster is some sort of change in pressure. A change so great that it not only forced the door open but also caused a woman to pass out. Now, as plausible as that theory might be, I find it hard to swallow especially if no one else in the room succumbed as she did. So please, take that suggestion with a large grain of salt. 
Thanks again, Derek, for sharing that interesting story. Up next is a tale about a strange light in the sky. This is Riley's Call from North Carolina. Hey, Derek. My name is Riley. I'm from uh, North Carolina. I uh, just found your podcast, and uh, I wanted to go ahead and share a little story I had. So, this would have been summer of 2015 or 2016. I had um, gone out to a friend's house. He lives in a uh, small town kind of area named uh, Advance. I live near a, uh, another small town that's close by called Moxville. So anyhow, um, me and my brother had gone out to this friend's house, and we were coming back to the super late at night, probably 3 or 4 in the morning. And uh, as we were driving back, we were driving along uh, Highway 801, which is... Um, goes south, I believe. Anyways, so we were going on this uh, road 801, and as we were driving back, we were getting closer to our house that's, like, right off of the highway. Um, and all of a sudden, because this highway, it's it's a very rural area, so there's not a whole lot around. So on either side of the road, there's uh, trees everywhere. So it's basically, you can't really see much off to the sides of the roads or anything, but you can see the sky above pretty clearly just in a narrow channel where the trees aren't blocking it. So we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden we just see this object that has lights on it just go flying past over these trees as we're driving down the highway. And we both saw it, and we had no clue what it was. And my first thought was that it was an airplane, because about a mile or two away there's an airport called Twin Lakes Airport. But it's, you know, two miles away, and this airplane or whatever it was was, like, right above the tree line. So there's no reason for an airplane to be flying that low if it's, like, taken off from uh, an airport that's two miles away. By then, they'd already be well up into the sky. So I really don't know what it was, but it was pretty interesting. And then... Just a couple of nights ago, actually, I was driving on my way back from work. I work in another small town nearby called Clemens. I was coming down Interstate 40 trying to get back to um, my house. And um, Interstate 40 goes east and west, where I live in North Carolina. And um, off to the side, or not to the side, excuse me, off to um, the side of the interstate, I just see this light that just was in the sky, and then it just moves down, like directly down towards the ground. And I have no clue what it was. It wasn't in the right spot, I don't think, for it to have been an airplane or something. And it was moving way too quickly to be an airplane. So I don't know if it was a meteor or whatever, but that's my story. Just wanted to share it with you. Love the podcast. Keep it up, man. Thank you, Riley. It may come as a surprise to some to know that, according to ABC News, North Carolina ranks 10th in the most UFO sightings per state, which is fairly significant considering all the hotspots across the country. Rounding out that top 10, starting with number 9, is Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, New York, Texas, Washington, Florida, and California. A few states I'm rather shocked to learn did not fall in that top 10, Nevada, New Mexico, Missouri, and Colorado. But hey, the numbers don't lie. And in reality, this is probably based on population. Thanks again, Riley, for taking the time to call in.
There is no other way to say this. Our next story is more sad than scary, but you can't deny the positive message that it has. This is an anonymously submitted written entry. My husband passed away at the beginning of 2017. He was 40 years old and we didn't realize he was sick. His death was so quick that they told me he didn't have time to grab his sheets. He died at work taking care of special need individuals for a straight 60-hour shift from Friday to Monday morning. Since then, every time someone would mention his name, fire alarms would go off. I would get up to turn them off and as soon as I reach up to do so, the alarm would stop. I even bought new batteries and changed them out and put them back on the wall. Now this part you may think is weird, but I couldn't bring myself to sleep in our bed, so I slept on the living room floor on our son's futon mattress. So here I was, sleeping on the floor, mourning my husband, and the damned alarm went off again. I struggled to get my short round body off the floor, and just as before, the stupid alarm stopped as I was reaching for it. This time my anger at his death, at the alarm, and at my short round body, I grabbed a chair and ripped it off the wall. Then said, If you had something to say, you should not have died, you jackass. I stepped off the chair, threw the stupid alarm toward the kitchen, and went back to my bed on the floor to cry my eyes out. The next night, I made our son bring his whole futon frame out so we didn't have to sleep on the floor. It was 2 a.m., rolling into 3 a.m., and so on. I couldn't get comfortable, and as I raised up on my hands and knees, I heard my husband's voice say, I love you. His voice was strained, like it was hard for him to get it out. If anyone else had been in the room, he would have been heard. Was it just me spinning out of control? Maybe, but I don't think so. Thank you for that submission, and I'm terribly sorry for your loss. To those that have not lost loved ones, this story could come off as a bit startling or even spooky. But for those of us that have lost someone close, it acts more as a beacon of hope than a tale of terror, offering up at least a sliver of hope, hope that we will one day see that person again, somewhere or somehow. Thank you again for that submission. Let's brighten things up a bit. Our next call was submitted by Todd in Arizona. Hi Derek, my name is Todd. I grew up in a town called Mesa, just east of Phoenix, When my parents moved us there in 1970, it was a smaller community surrounded by citrus groves, cotton and hay fields, and open farmland. Nowadays, the whole area has been built out as Phoenix's East Valley, and very little of the agriculture land remains. Back then, my dad was a teacher and found a job teaching at a local junior high school, and moved us to Mesa from New Mexico. They bought a small, but new, three-bedroom cinder block home on the edge of Mesa, near a new elementary school immediately to the north of my neighborhood, were cotton fields that extended north to the usually dry Salt River bed. There were and are several Native American tribes that own the land near and around the river bed, so tribal land exists all around. I'm not sure if my neighborhood was ever a part of tribal property, but it was within a mile or two nonetheless. In those early years, my neighborhood was very safe and calm. We had many friends around, good neighbors. The house was hot during the summers, with swamp cooling doing its best. We didn't get regular AC until I was a teenager. 
My awesome parents did the best they could on a teacher's salary and started growing a large family. I am the oldest boy of ten siblings. One night when I was probably eight or so, my parents were out on their date night. My older sister was babysitting. I remember the house was quiet, and I was just dozing off on the couch, probably about 9 p.m. As I was drifting asleep, someone hauled off and open hand slapped me across the face, knocking me off the couch and onto the floor. I lay there stunned for a second and then jumped up ready to take on my sister, but no one was there. I looked around. The front door was closed and locked. Kitchen lights were on, but nobody there. Peeked down the hall, but no one was awake. I stood there trying to figure out what happened, and I could feel the hand slap on my face. In the mirror, my cheek was red and there were finger marks. I don't know what the heck happened. I didn't feel creeped out or frightened, just total confusion. I was too young to think it was anything otherworldly, but I have no explanation. Which leads to the next story. In the early 1980s, when I was about 12, there were too many of us kids to fit in that little house. My sisters shared the bedrooms while me and my younger brothers slept on the mattresses in our living room. We were kids. It really didn't bother us at all. While my parents were saving to add additional rooms to the house, they somehow obtained an older camper trailer, probably about 18 feet long. They maneuvered it into our backyard, got it nice and level and stable, and ran an extension cord to it from the house. Boom, instant boy's bedroom. It was really fun at first. We obviously didn't use the little stove or sink. I don't remember it having a bathroom. We would just relieve ourselves at night out the door into the grass. It was like camping and we loved it. I slept on a full-size bed on one end of the trailer. My other brother slept above me on a flip-down twin bed. And my smaller brother slept on the other side of the trailer on the fold-down dining table area. His bed was closest to the door. We kept it locked during the day and also at night when we slept. My parents had a key with them, and we would have a key with us to lock it at night. Oh man, that trailer. My brother, just younger than me, began having night terrors. Never had them before. He would wake up just sobbing and unconsolable. That freaked me out. Over time, I would find myself waking up to the sound of the doorknob wiggling like someone was coming in. I would think it's my dad coming to check on us, but then it would just stop. We would have the windows open and could hear steps walking around the trailer. Of course, it could have been anyone. Even in a safe neighborhood, it isn't impossible to have people sneaking around. I'd tell my dad he'd not worry too much. His bedroom window was probably 15 feet away, so he said to just yell when it happened, and he'd come running. But in those moments... I'd just be frozen with fear, barely breathing, hoping the scary moment would just pass. Even with the back porch light on, it would happen. I came home late one night from a school dance and grabbed the key, went outside, unlocked the trailer door, closed it behind me and locked it, to find my younger brother weeping and shaken. He said somebody, not 30 seconds prior, was trying to open the door and the trailer was shaking. We slept in the house that night. Then, someone started climbing on the roof of that trailer. Not every night, but many times. My sister confessed to doing it once, but only once. 
It happened many times. It would start by, by the trailer shaking. Then the roof would buckle and dent as whoever was up there moved around. I can still hear the metal all clunky in my head. Scared the crap out of me and my brothers. I concede it could be neighbor kids or even a prowler, but it happened all the time at all hours of the night with no purpose other than to scare us, I guess. Other than my sister admitting to doing it once, never did any of our friends ever confess to messing with us. Nobody was interested in that trailer at all. It was too hot in the day to play in it. Its only use was to have us sleep in it. We quit sleeping in it after two additional things happened that I cannot explain. One morning, we awoke to my younger brother covered in hair. Like someone got a haircut, saved all the clippings and sprinkled it all over him. It was on his face and arms, in his mouth and inside his bedding. Door was locked. We had one key and parents had the other inside the house. My parents weren't practical jokers. Then a short time later I woke up to blood on the palms of both hands. I thought I had a nosebleed during the night, but there wasn't a drop of blood on my face, in my nose, on my pillow, on my sheets, or on the floor. Not one drop anywhere. It looked like I had placed my hands on or around something bloody. It was only on my palms, not my fingernails or back of my hands or arms. It was dried, not thick or clumpy, and it smelled like blood. It washed off like dried blood, not paint. I had enough at that point, and me and my brothers went back to sleeping on the living room floor until we added two new bedrooms to the house. The trailer sat in our backyard for some time, and they finally sold it. I loved that house, lots of great memories, but a few creepy things over the years. My parents sold it after I had married. They knew the family that moved in and kept contact over the years. Some years later, my sister talked to one of the kids that moved in after us. They talked about seeing two little kids run down the hallway on more than one occasion in the middle of the night. That little house still stands. We drive by whenever we are close by. I always fixate my gaze on where that trailer was and wonder what repressed memory I have that produced blood on my hands that one night. I don't think I want to remember. Thank you, Todd. It certainly sounds like there were no dull moments in your childhood. The story of the rattling doorknob reminded me of something that happened to me when I was probably 11 years old. Now please forgive me if I've told this story before, but after nearly 100 episodes, I'm starting to forget all that I've said. Growing up, I was a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I'm talking the days of Farley, Spade, Meyer, Carvey, and Hartman. I'd stay up late every Saturday night just to watch, and apparently I was the only fan because typically I was watching alone. Well, on this one particular night, I was midway through the show when all of a sudden someone started turning the doorknob to our main entry door. They'd twist the handle back and forth and push really hard on the door, making a very loud banging sound. After staring in disbelief for what seemed like minutes, I finally ran to my parents' room to wake my dad. To my surprise and horror, he found nothing. Now keep in mind that we lived down a long driveway off a state route in the middle of nowhere. You could only see one other house from ours, and it was several hundred yards away. Like Todd's story, whoever or whatever it was, we never found it. So thank you again, Todd, for taking the time to share your story. I've been in those shoes, and it's not nearly as fun as it sounds. 
Now I have two more stories I want to share with you guys before I wrap this thing up, but before I do, I need to get all this info out there. Please send me your story. The hotline is always open and always free, at least for U.S. residents. Simply dial 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website, which is monstersamonguspodcast.com. Now, for you fine folks in other countries, feel free to record your story on your phone or computer and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Do me a solid and leave me a rate and review on iTunes, or whatever the kids are calling it these days. And if you're one of those yahoos that's looking to complain because you don't like the format, you can just go ahead and skip that part. Don't forget about the goodies for sale in the shop portion of the website. I have a few t-shirts left in addition to koozies and decals. I'm hoping to include a few new items in coming months, so be sure to check back. I've had two new donations lately, and I want to say a big thank you to Anthony P. and Jamie S. Without support from folks like you, there wouldn't be a show, so thank you both. And speaking of support, if you love the show and you want more episodes, you can easily do so by signing up on Patreon. $4 a month gets you two additional episodes and a video investigation performed by me. There's a new video and episode dropping next week, so now is the perfect time to sign up. Head over to Patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us, or follow the link in the show notes. And a huge thank you to all those that have already signed up. Okay, back to the program. Our next possibly squatchy call comes to us from Ellie in the Pacific Northwest. Hello, my name is Ellie and I live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. My father and I spent the majority of my childhood out in the wilderness camping far away from civilization. We are sure lucky to live in such an amazing place. This encounter isn't mine, but one my father had well before I was thought of. It takes place up north at Mount Rainier in Washington State. It was late September in 1985. My father and his two friends headed up the mountain to a place called Cougar Campground. It was off-season and the campground had been shut down for the winter when they arrived. They decided to drive around the cones that block the road and drive into the campground. They picked a group camping site that was furthest back right on the edge of the old-growth forest. It had a large patch of smaller fir trees in the camp that were around 8 feet tall. They used those smaller trees to suspend a rope that they threw a sheet of black plastic over. It created a makeshift shelter for everyone and Shiloh, my dad's dog, a half-black lab and half-Doberman mix. Shy, as we called her, had been with my father for years in the woods and was experienced with all of the animals in that area. The first night came to a close and everyone settled down into their sleeping bags underneath the trees in the shelter. In the middle of the night, my dad woke to Shiloh making a soft growl and a woof. He looked up to make sure she was still in the shelter and she made the growl again. He whispered for her to calm down, and she proceeded to softly growl a third time. She stood at the edge of the black plastic cover and peered her head around. My dad said her front legs jolted as straight as a board, and she bounced backwards, making the highest-pitched squeal of a bark, and then chased into the darkness. My dad scrambled to get out of his sleeping bag and run after her when he hears a loud smash like shattering glass. He thought it might have been the back window of their hatchback. This commotion woke everyone up. My father finally gathered the dog, and they watched as she led them smelling toward the bushes. 
They looked around for tracks or hooves and didn't see anything. The car windows were all intact, but they did notice that near that area that they were cutting firewood earlier that night, there was a stump eight inches in diameter freshly ripped up, leaning toward the bushes with its roots hanging out. They sat around the picnic table lit by the lantern discussing what could have made that loud glass slattering smash. Eventually, they returned to the shelter for the night. In the morning, they pieced together the clues to form somewhat of an explanation, but they cannot be sure because nobody saw anything except for Shiloh. They concluded that as they slept underneath the grouping of trees camouflaged by the black plastic sheet, they were virtually invisible in the dark night. Something might have smelled the food from dinner or maybe the dog and came to check it out. After reaching the camp at the edge of old growth, nothing was visible to the creature, but the smell was still present. Curiosity drew it into the camp. Maybe confused by the fact that the camp had been empty for some time, it unknowingly approached and drew closer. That is when Shiloh started to growl. That made it freeze in its tracks. When Shiloh peeked her head around the edge of the shelter and saw this thing, that's when she flipped out. The creature bolted back toward the forest line, hitting the stump on its way, pushing it out of the ground, and smashing into those bushes so hard that it sounded like shattering glass. On the other side of the bushes was a five feet wide dried up creek bed that it might have been taken off down, leaving no footprints. I don't know, whatever was in that camp that night is a mystery to this day, but it does seem like there might have been a monster among them. Thank you, Ellie. This is the first time this has ever happened on this show. I swear I've heard this story before. I don't know if it was shared on another podcast or submitted online or even on a television program, but I remember hearing it somewhere. That little fact does not stop the story from being downright awesome. I particularly enjoy that the men thought rationally and that they at least proposed theories as to what happened. After all, if you're going to run into a Sasquatch, and I think I'm safe in assuming that that's what we think this was, there's no better place than the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Thanks again, Ellie, for taking the time to share this story. And that brings us to the final call of the evening. This is Sarah's call from the state of New York. Hi, Derek. I love your show. I listen to you every week. Um, I'm calling, I'm, I guess, to see if other listeners of yours have had this experience backing up my parents' house I grew into when I was 12. Um, upstate New York was built in the 19, or the 1820s. And um, after my sister and I and our preteens decided to do a Ouija board, um, I personally started having experiences. And um, moving forward, we had a lot of experiences, um, but one in particular, my ex-husband boyfriend at the time had a very strange, like, black mass amoeba-looking thing come over him in the upstairs bedroom by the attic where we hear footsteps and such. But he heard this weird tuning in and out of a radio sounding like... It sounded like a radio, and he felt paralyzed... And he finally was terrified enough to, you know, finally pull himself out of bed and and go sleep downstairs. So I had more and more experiences, but one in particular that I want to bring up um, was in my 20s. 
I had basically a similar experience as my ex-husband did. I heard this demonic-sounding cat screech go down the hallway. It was about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, it woke me up, and I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I slept in here. I wanted to try it one more time, and I was looking at the ceiling fan, and uh, all of a sudden I heard this radio tuning in sounding sound right in my left ear and um, a little girl crying and I realized that my daughter wasn't with me so I sat there for about five minutes and it was still crying in my ear and needless to say it freaked me out so I grabbed my mattress threw it on my brother's bedroom floor and slept there for the rest of the night Um, I forgot another detail that my mom and my daughter who was nine at the time um, we're getting into the car into a two-car garage, and they both heard at the same time that radio sound again, you know, coming buzzing into their ear, and then they both heard a man say, it's okay. And this happened probably about a year after my brother. He was 38, and he passed away suddenly. So it could have something to do with that or not. Um, I had seen a psychic about two years ago, um, and he's in touch with paranormal um, and he said that it was he had seen the attic he described my parents attic and um, that there and he didn't want to freak me out but there was this he was seeing this spider a dark spider big huge spider with a human head crawling all over my walls and for some reason it was obsessed with me and would watch me through a mirror and I remember the mirror across from my bedroom where I would get dressed and um, practice dancing and and stuff like that. The psychic that also um, was very oppressive to my brother um, and wished that he could have spoken to him because my brother ended up with a major alcohol problem and drugs and passed away from a heroin overdose. Also, my sister, um, who was his twin sister, had bulimia and anorexia, um, acted like she was possessed at times. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this had something to do with her. Um, she's well to do now and doing very well, um, proud to say. So I was just wondering if any of your other listeners have had an experience with, you know, a spider with a human head and especially the tuning in sound of a radio and then hearing something paranormal. Um, just really intrigues me. Luckily, they are moving this weekend out of that house, and I won't have to deal with it anymore. So, Derek, I really enjoy your show um, and my curiosity about this. I've, it's taken me a long time to call in, and I'm not a phone person, so but I really am interested about this um, old, old-fashioned old radio-sounding sound and then paranormal voices or activity. If anyone can else can um, throw in on that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. Like the previous call, I've heard this somewhere before. But unlike the previous call, I know exactly where I heard it. Back on episode 4 of season 3, frequent caller Scott shared a story about a giant spider with a human head he witnessed in Bosnia back in the 1990s. While there are many differences between what Scott reported and the story just given by Sarah, I couldn't help but notice the similarities. Despite an extensive search by not only me, but a few other paranormal podcast hosts, we were not able to find any other stories involving this terrifying creature. 
Although, human-headed spiders were depicted in two movies, The Thing and Toy Story, as well as several H.P. Lovecraft stories. So at least for now, it appears that the mystery continues. And Sarah, I did want to say that I'm terribly sorry for the loss of your brother. But I am happy to hear that you will no longer have to visit the house that seemed to bring you so much terror. Thank you again for taking the time to share. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music from this episode was provided by Coag Music, Antitector, and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus, to get behind the wheel, to go out on the open road, to feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event, your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. If you thought you had to travel far to savor the Pad Thai of Bangkok, or to taste the pastries of Paris, take another look. With two times total points at grocery stores, your same kitchen can come with more cuisines. Sapphire Preferred from Chase. Make more of what's yours. Dollar up to $1,000 in purchases per month from November 1st, 2020 to April 30th, 2021. Account subject to credit approval. Card issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member FDIC.